You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Thank you, praise team, for again leading us into uh, the very presence of God today. Appreciate you guys. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it up today to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be page 571. If you're just grabbing uh, our pew Bible there, I would encourage you to do so. If you do not have a copy of God's Word with you, I'd encourage you to take that black pew Bible just so that we can, um, just so that you're able to read God's Word as we walk through this really amazing passage today. So church, last week we began our series in the book of Isaiah by focusing on God's message that even when, we turn, even when we turn our back on him, even when we make a mess of our lives, God graciously calls us back to himself. And Isaiah 118 is such a great reminder where God just says, hey, bring me all of your sin and I will make it whiter than snow. Though your sins are as scarlet, though they're like crimson, I will make them like wool. This morning... We're going, we're going to see what caused the prophet Isaiah to devote his entire life to proclaiming that message from Isaiah chapter 1. And this morning as we look at Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to find that one moment with God changed the direction of Isaiah's life forever. So I want to begin today by actually reading this entire portion. So I'd encourage you to to grab your Bibles again and just follow along as I read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah writes, and he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Church, life is full of both big and small moments. Most of our lives consist of pretty mundane stuff. We go, to, we, we go to school, we get a job, we pursue friendships with other people. Um, some of us build, build families, and we learn to walk with God together. Eugene Peterson has this, uh, the, one of the titles of his books is simply A Long Obedience in, in the Same Direction. We simply do life with God each and every day. Those are small things. But every so often, something big happens. Every so often, we experience moments that are etched in our minds and become an anchor for our souls. 
And these defining moments make us who we are and oftentimes change the direction of our lives. This morning, I want to dig into the defining moment of Isaiah's life. And as we do, it's my prayer that you and I will be gripped by the greatness of God and that we will never be the same. So before we dig into this portion, let's just take another moment and ask God's blessing upon our time. Heavenly Father, God, we come to your word today. And we are just blown away just by reading, God, what Isaiah saw when you gave him a vision, Lord. God, of the very throne room of heaven. And God, words do not do justice for what Isaiah saw. But words is how you've chosen to communicate, God, the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And so, God, as we dig into it, Lord, as we, as we see God and try to understand and comprehend all that Isaiah saw that day, God, may it just change our hearts. May we get a glimpse, God, of what Isaiah saw. May we be able to see even a small picture, Father, of the vision that you gave him. And God, may it speak to our hearts today. We love you, Lord, and we, we are honored to open up your word today. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So church, Isaiah begins verse 1 with these words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, I've always thought that the beginning of this portion of Scripture uh, was simply just a timestamp, something that's uh, giving us when Isaiah began his prophetic ministry. It's almost like, okay, from a historical standpoint, this is when it happened. It's almost like, you know, that, that little phrase that we learned from, from school, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the, the ocean blue. So this would be in 740 B.C., Isaiah started his prophetic ministry, something, something along those lines. And I always viewed it that way. I always viewed it, okay, this is just from the historical standpoint. This is, this is God saying this is when Isaiah started, started his prophetic work. But the more that I spent time with it this week, I think it points to something deeper. See, we see that God meant Isaiah when, when Isaiah needed God the most. See this phrase, when King Uzziah died, King Uzziah was one of the Judah's greatest leaders, and he died in 740 B.C. Um, you can read more about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 if you want to do a little bit more reading on it. But uh, Uzziah reigned for 52 years. Uzziah started his reign when he was 16 years old. And for 52 years, he, he ruled the, the nation of Judah. He was a strong leader. He was an efficient administrator. Um, he was an inspiring commander-in-chief. Uzziah was the real deal. And for 52 years, the nation of Judah confidently stood under his leadership. Even as Assyria around them began to really rise in power and, 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 and began to threaten their homeland, none of that mattered when Uzziah was on the throne. The people completely trusted in him. But in 740, all of that changed. When this king whom they loved, this king that they had so much confidence and trust in, when that king died, and then all of a sudden, the very thing that brought stability and security for the nation of Judah 
was pulled out from under them. Let's be honest. We all have King Uzziahs in, in our lives, don't we? We all have things that, that we look to for stability and confidence. Whether it be our, our leaders, it might be our financial plan, it might be our health, our relationships, our future, our abilities, even our identity. But the question that Isaiah was, that Isaiah brings out this morning is simply this, but what happens when that thing, that one thing, whatever that is for you, what happens when that thing is taken away? What happens when that job that you knew for sure was going to lead to a great retirement is lost? Or what happens when the health that you have, that you have dedicated so much of your life to, to staying in shape, what happens when you get that phone call and cancer hits? What happens when our world falls apart? And when Isaiah's world was falling apart around him, when they had lost the king that they loved so much, God showed up. And Isaiah 6, one could, could read, in the year that we lost our human king, I saw the real king. When my world fell apart, I saw the king of kings and Lord of lords. And church, this morning, what I want you to remember simply is this, is that when our world falls apart, we need to be gripped by the greatness of God. When everything else shatters around us, we need to be gripped by who God is. And in, in Isaiah 6, 1 through 7, God is going to show Isaiah four attributes of himself that will change his life forever that would literally change the direction of what he planned to do for the rest of his life. But it also does this, is that these attributes are things that we can cling to when our world falls apart around us. And instead of running to, running to friends or instead of running to this or that, God says, simply come to me and remember these four things. And with the rest of our time, I want to walk you through what those four attributes are. The first attribute that we need to remember when our world falls apart is simply is, this, is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah had died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I want you to notice a few things here. So what, what, is, what is God doing? What is he doing? He is sitting. He is seated on the throne. He's not pacing back and forth. He's sitting. He's not wringing his hands or struggling and searching for what to do, knowing that the king of his people has just died. He's not doing any of that. He is settled. He is secure. And he is seated on a throne. And as Isaiah's earthly king lay dead, the true Sovereign God was ruling, reigning, and holding court. Friends, know that whatever burdens you are carrying today, whatever anxieties are ruling your hearts, they're no match for the one seated on the throne of heaven today. And when your world falls apart, know that God is not caught by surprise. He's not up there wondering what's going to happen or what he's going to do. He's settled. 
He knows, he knows what's going to happen, and he's not scared by it. And church, often when we talk of God's sovereignty, it seems very, very calloused. It seems like it lacks compassion, and I get that. And many of us have walked through really hard things in our lives, and we've heard this response from other people. Well, God's sovereign. God knows what he's doing. And it sometimes rings hollow. It sometimes is not comforting at all. But I want to remind you of something today. That God is sovereign, but God is loving and compassionate, and God is wise. And you may think of your life right now and everything is out of control, but know that God does have a plan. And maybe you don't know what it is right now, or maybe you won't know for years to come. But when you cannot trust God's hand and what he's doing, trust who he is, that he's loving and kind. And I've been there. I've been there when people gave me this response, God is sovereign. Just relax. God is seated on a throne somewhere. I'm telling you, church, it works. Because you know what it does? The sovereignty of God takes the burden off of you and I and puts it back on God where it should be. For those of us who struggle with, with anxiety, and I am one of them, so often what I do, I take the burden that's supposed to be on God and I put it on myself. And, and I act like I have to do everything. I act like I'm the one in control, that I'm the one that has to make things happen. And the whole time God is seated on the throne saying, hey, let me handle that for you. Why don't you trust in me? So when Isaiah's world was falling apart, the first thing that he saw was God seated on the throne, and he is reminded that God is sovereign. And friends, today God is for you, and he's with you, and he is still seated on that throne today. The next thing Isaiah does is Isaiah says, not only did I see God seated on the throne, let, let me tell you about that throne and it's the atmosphere um, where God was ruling from. And we see here in verse 1, again, that God is majestic. God is majestic. And Isaiah now describes the throne and the setting in which he ruled. It says that the Lord's throne was high and lifted up, most likely on a series of steps, and that the train of his robe filled the entire temple. See, royalty will often signify their power and majesty and authority by how long the train of their robe is. How many of you guys know, know what, what a train is? You see it often in, in, in brides. They come down with the train coming from their dress, from their gown. And in 1953, when Queen Elizabeth was coronated, it was, I think it was the first videoed coronation that ever happened in England. You can check it out, check it out on YouTube. Um, the train of her robe was halfway down the aisle of Westminster Abbey. And it was, it was covered in, in gold and, um, and, embroidered in, and embroidered with diamonds, and it showed the majesty of that moment, the majesty of the queen. But Isaiah says that the train of God's robe filled the entire temple. It went down the aisle and back again and back and forth and doubled back again and it filled the entire throne room where God, where God sat to rule and to reign. And what, what Isaiah saw was a picture of the majesty of God and the splendor and the glory that of, of the, the atmosphere where God was. 
And church, what, what Isaiah is trying to get at here is that this isn't a place where you could just approach and pull up a chair. You couldn't pull up a stool next to the throne of God and, and be okay and think, think that that was acceptable. See, the majesty of God, this is a place where we are in the presence of royalty and splendor. See, God isn't just some old man in the sky that, that we pray to or that desires our worship. God sits righteously on his throne, ruling and reigning over the universe that he created. So seeing God in all of his majesty puts everything in perspective. John Calvin, writing on this passage, notes, notes this. He says, men are never duly touched and impressed with the conviction of their insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. He says, listen, we don't get to see, we don't understand who we fully are until we see God in all of his majesty. When we see God for who he is, we understand just how unworthy we are to enter into, enter into that throne room. Church, there, there was this belief for a long time that the earth was the center of the galaxy. That the planets, the sun, and moons, everything revolved around the earth. And we, we held that, mankind held that belief for a very long time. Until guys like Nicholas Copernicus and a couple others began to just understand and look at maps, look at mathematics and things way smarter than I can ever comprehend or anything like that. But they began to just discover that Earth isn't the center of the galaxy. Earth doesn't revolve around us. Or the planets do not revolve around the Earth. Something greater, something bigger, like the sun, is actually the center of the universe. And friends, when we understand who God is, compared to who we are, it changes our perspective on the entirety of life. Because many of us here really believe that the world revolves around you, and the world, and the world revolves around me. It's about my wants, my desires, my expectations. And the moment that we see God for who he is in all of his majesty, all of that changes. We begin going from man-centered worship to God-centered worship. Life isn't about me anymore. It's about knowing God and making him known. My wants and desires take a backseat to God's plans and purposes for me. And when the majesty of God grips us, I give the throne of my heart to its rightful owner, the Lord God Almighty. And church, when we see God for who he is, it gives us the, the correct perspective on how we live the rest of our lives. God is majestic. The whole scene for Isaiah is overwhelming. And I'm sure he could have gone on and described other things, but it was just too much for him. And he, and he goes on again and says, he stops and says, listen, let, let, let me tell you about the angels that were there. In verse 2 through 4, Isaiah tells us, above God stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. And with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is, fu is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. 
See, above the throne room of God stood the seraphim, stood angels. The seraphim, the, the word literally means burning ones. I'm not sure if they're literally on fire or not. I have no idea. There's so many questions. There's more questions than answers when, when we read the text, this text about angels. But we do know this, that Isaiah saw two lines of angels lined up above the throne room of God, and they stood at attention. They, they stood the same way that we stand when a bride comes into that church auditorium or the, when the bride comes into that wedding ceremony. We stand to give honor, to recognize that this moment isn't about me, that it's about them. This moment isn't about the people that are in the pews all the time. And we, we say this often at our, at our rehearsals. Uh, as we have family drama and everything else, listen, this day isn't about you, mom or grandma or aunt. It's, they, it's not about you. It's about them. And that moment when the bride comes in and we all stand, we are acknowledging that we are standing in beauty and splendor and honor of that moment. The angels stood in honor for the God that they worshipped. Not only did they stand in honor, they proclaimed worship to God. And it says that they said, they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And this worship shook the temple's foundation. The whole room was filled with smoke. And that worship, one side, one, one row those angels would say, and then it would be repeated by, by the other side, and that would just go back and forth. And church, that worship has gone on for all of eternity. And even though right now we, we feel like God isn't being worshipped or acknowledged um, in our society and culture, this is the reality. That God is being worshipped continually, giving the worship that he deserves. And the thing that God wanted Isaiah, and the thing that God wants us to see today, simply put, is that God is holy. Notice again what the angels say. They don't repeat that love, love, love. They don't repeat merciful, merciful, merciful. Instead, they cry out, holy, 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 holy. Friends, holiness is a central attribute of who God is. It is what every other characteristic flows out of. Tony Evans notes, and he says, when God loves, it is a holy love. And when God forgives, it is a holy forgiveness. And when God judges and disciplines, it is a holy wrath. God is holy, and everything else comes out of that attribute. There have been a lot of talks a lot of talks about what God would approve or disapprove of within our culture today. And a lot of that comes out of the fact that people view God first as loving and affirming of whatever, whatever behavior or action you would like to take. And so often those people that build their, their theology upon an attribute of God outside of God's holiness, this is where we bring, we bring them back to. That God, before he is anything else, God is holy. He 
is righteous and pure. And God gets to set the standard of how we live our lives, not the other way around. We can do it graciously, and we can do it in love. But we always go back to the fact that God is a holy, righteous God above anything else. But God's holiness doesn't just mean that he's morally pure and without sin. That is an incomplete definition of the word holiness. See, holiness means to be singled out, to be consecrated, to be wholly exalted above all else. See, church, God isn't just a little bit better than we are. God isn't just someone who tried really, really hard and he is perfect when we're not. God is simply unlike us at all. And it is, it is a hard thing to even illustrate. It's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around the fact of what does it mean for God, for God to be holy. But God's word says that God is infinitely above his creation. That God is unique. God is unapproachable. God is incomprehensible and unattainable. God is completely unlike anything that we could ever even imagine. He is completely other. So God's holiness means that we approach him with reverence and awe. Church, there should be a pause when we talk with God, recognizing into whose, whose presence we are about to enter into. God isn't your pal. God isn't your friend. God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we should have a healthy fear of who he is. Remember, my, my father-in-law used to always get on me for saying the word awesome. I still say it. And if you see this, sorry, Dad, I'm still using that word. But the reason why he called me out on that is like, Dave, if God is awesome, which the Bible says he is, and you say that that pizza is awesome, where does that go? They're not the same. And at the time, I was like, Dad, get off my back. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, but he said two things. One, Dave, get a better vocabulary. And two, give God the honor and respect that he deserves. The, the Jewish people would not say, verbally pronounce the name of God. They would never pronounce Yahweh. The scribes, as they were writing down the Old Testament scriptures, whenever it came to the name of God, would, would get up, change their clothes, and oftentimes they, they would bathe before they wrote the name of God down. And I'm not sure what that looks like for you, but I'm just saying, friends, if we worship a holy God, let's make sure that we acknowledge him as holy. Maybe for you it's saying there are only words or only definitions that I'm only going to use when I reference the almighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Maybe it's the way that we approach the throne of grace. And, and Hebrews does say that we should boldly approach the throne of grace. But even with that boldness should come some reverence as well. 
that because of the work of Jesus, we have the privilege of speaking to the King of kings and Lord of lords. But church, we are still in the presence of God every time we call out to him. God is a holy, holy God. Church, for the first time in this, in this portion, we hear Isaiah respond to the glory of the throne room of God. In verse 5, Isaiah says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah cries out and says, Lord, I am completely ruined and lost. I am I'm becoming undone. It's like having a, having a, a, a skein of yarn and having the whole thing be pulled out. That, that is what Isaiah was feeling like on the inside. Everything that I've done, everything that I have that holds me together is completely unraveled. All of my trust, all of my confidence, none of that matters when I stand in front of the holiness of God. And when we stand in the presence of a holy God, it is only natural to feel the conviction of sin and the weight of our unworthiness. As Isaiah saw the power and the majesty and the splendor of God, he saw the rottenness of his own heart. He says, God, I have nothing to offer, and I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of, of unclean lips. And th- this, could, this could mean a couple of things. One, it could mean that oftentimes, Scripture says that what is in the heart comes out through our mouth. And so Isaiah could just be recognizing the sinfulness of his own heart here. But it, it could also mean that when Isaiah stood in the presence of God, that he recognized that the things that I have declared worship to the things that I, that I said, this, these are the important things. When Isaiah recognizes, I have called things awesome that, are, that do not compare to the awesomeness of God. He says, Lord, I see you face to face now, and I am absolutely ruined because of it. And it's with that 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 God shows Isaiah one more attribute attribute to to cling to. And it simply is this, that God is merciful. Verses 6 and 7 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, that this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. We see the mercy of God here. So out, out of, of that smoke, where Isaiah just couldn't even see the presence of God anymore, a seraphim came, an angel came, holding a burning coal in his hand. And what I love about this is that this, this is heaven. Nothing is done outside of the will of God. A seraphim, some angel just didn't pick it up and say, I, I have an idea here. No, this came directly from God. And he commanded that angel to take that, to take that burning coal and to place it on the very part of Isaiah where he had just proclaimed how sinful he was. And he touched Isaiah's lips and he gave him a verbal confirmation that your guilt 
is forgiven. Your sin has been atoned for, recovered. And in that moment, Isaiah experienced the mercy, the, the, the mercy of God. Friends, there are some of you here today that have been holding on to guilt for far too long. Who have asked forgiveness of sins, but the evil one continues to have you believe that those sins are not forgiven. You need to hear those words. That your, your guilt has been taken away. Those sins have been forgiven. And Isaiah's reception of God's mercy is a beautiful picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. See, in John chapter 12, verse 41, John writes and states that the Lord whom Isaiah saw on the throne room was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus offered forgiveness to Isaiah from that burning coal that touched his lips, Jesus offers us forgiveness when, we, when the truths of Calvary touches our hearts. Like Isaiah, we cannot stand in the presence of God without dealing with our sins. So God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place to cover and atone for and pay the penalty for our sins. And Paul says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. The same forgiveness that Isaiah experienced that day when he experienced the throne room of God, we experience that same thing when we believe the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge that, just like Isaiah acknowledged that he was a sinner, when we acknowledge that we are sinful and that we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God, God doesn't just leave us there. God doesn't say, you're right, you're not worthy, you are sinful, and you just need to try better. God doesn't do that. In his mercy for us, he extends Mercy and grace to those of us who, all of us, who are in need of it. And just as that angel extended that burning coal onto Isaiah's mouth, God extends his mercy and grace through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. To acknowledge your need for a Savior, you believe that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary, is enough to pay for our sins. And church, we're, we're not just going on some, some premonition or some hint or something that we hope is going to happen. God's word says that whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, the work of the cross, he, their sins will be forgiven and they will have eternal life. So we believe not in, not in what we hope is going to happen, but we believe what God, God's word says about that. And just as Isaiah had to believe that your guilt has been forgiven and your sins are atoned for, we have to place our faith and trust in what Jesus has done as well. 
and believe in the promises found in his word. And simply afterwards, the last part of receiving God's grace is that we need to simply accept it. We acknowledge we're a sinner. We believe in the promises of God and the work of the cross. And we accept that for ourselves. Church, God is merciful. And friends, whether you're here for the very first time and you've never heard the message of the cross, but God is working on your heart today, know that that offer is still on the table. That offer of forgiveness, that offer of mercy is, is available to you today as well. And if God is working on your heart, we would love to have a conversation with you so that you can know for sure today that you can walk out of this place knowing that your guilt has been forgiven and your sins have been atoned for and covered through the good news and work of Jesus Christ. But God is merciful. And church, if you have walked with God for a long time, as we talked about last week, but you are, you are currently walking away from him, know that that offer stands for you as well. That if you take your sin and you turn back to God, God can renew you, God can make you clean, and God can start something fresh, a fresh work in your heart today. So let me bring you back to the thing that we started with. So when our world falls apart, we need to be gripped by the greatness of God. And as I just call the, the, the praise team up, let me just encourage you with these with these few details. Even though your world is falling apart today, know that God is sovereign and, and in control. And he is wise and compassionate and loving. And he is with you and for you today. God is majestic, worthy of all of our praise. And so if you are, if you are discouraged by where this culture and society is going, remember who sits on the throne today. And if, church, if you just struggle with understanding who God is, know that he's holy, fully apart, separate from who we are. And lastly, if you have made a mess of your life because of sin, know that God is merciful today. He's with you and for you, and he wants to do a work in your life. So church, why don't we stand, let me pray over you, and then we're going to sing one more song. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this vision of who you are. God, thank you, Lord, that you are holy and exalted and high and lifted up. And that even though this world doesn't recognize you as our king, Lord, they will someday. When every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, until we get to that day, while our confidence may be shaken, Father, may we spend time in Isaiah chapter 6. God, and just re be reminded, Lord, of who you are and what, what you've done. May we be gripped by the greatness of God. God, may you work in the hearts of our people as you've worked in my heart already this week. We praise you for it. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.